0: Hello everyone, welcome to the American Blue Economy podcast. I'm your host, Admiral Tim Gallaudet. I'm the CEO of Ocean STL Consulting, and the former Deputy Administrator of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, and the former Assistant Secretary of Commerce for Oceans and Atmosphere, and before that, the Oceanographer of the Navy. We are a monthly offering by the American Shoreline Podcast Network, and brought to you by Coastal News Today. The American Blue Economy podcast brings together leading voices in the ocean, coastal, and Great Lakes based economies to expand awareness and collaboration, identify positive solutions to address the many challenges to the ocean economy such as conflicting uses and climate change, and provide thought leadership to support our post-pandemic national recovery. In today's episode, we're going to discuss Ocean STEM Education, where STEM is Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics and how Ocean STEM Education is going to develop the next generation of blue tech leaders and how they are foundational to a thriving blue economy as we move forward. And so for our guest today, I couldn't be more thrilled to have three of my colleagues and friends in Ocean Tech Education. Uh, First off, we have Melissa Ryan, who is the Vice President at the Global Foundation for Ocean Exploration. Melissa, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks so much, Jim. I'm really looking forward to the conversation.
0: You bet. We also have Loretta Allemassert. She's the founder and CEO of STEM Brains and a former colleague of mine from NOAA. Loretta, thank you again for being here.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here to talk to you guys today.
0: You bet, we are too. And lastly, but not least, Jill Zandi, who is the president and executive director of the Marine Advanced Technology Education, or MATE, Inspiration for Innovation Nonprofit. Jill, thank you so much for being here.
3: Hi Tim, thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here.
0: Right on. So uh, as we go through this discussion, again, Ocean STEM Education is our topic, and we have three experts uh, who are very experienced in the field. And I want to start with Melissa Ryan, uh, currently with the Global Foundation for Ocean Exploration. and. She's her teams go out on the NOAA exploration vessel Oceanus Explorer, and they dive with ROVs and sometimes AUVs to explore the ocean. But most importantly, take that information, that data, and communicate it either via telepresence or uh, direct STEM outreach activities with schools and science centers. And so, uh, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your organization as it relates to ocean STEM, if you don't mind, Melissa?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, So we know that technology really drives the pace of scientific advancement. Because if we can't get to the areas of the ocean that we want to, like say the deeper parts or the hard to reach parts, then it's really hard to study them. But that's where we come in. So GFOE, Global Foundation for Ocean Exploration, is a nonprofit organization. And we design, build and operate remotely operated vehicles, as you mentioned, Tim that science needs to study the deep ocean. And these ROVs can dive to depths of up to 6,000 meters, so really deep, which is not not easy to create something that can withstand pressure at those depths and actually operate really well. Um, We also, so we have a group of engineers, and we also have a group of filmmakers. And through our filmmaking activities, we tell the stories of the new discoveries that are made. And that's on nearly every dive. There's something new, a new species or um, you know, a new part of geology or, or whatever. But it's always something that people just say, wow, we didn't even know that was there. And we have a lot of partners, as you might imagine, including various line offices within NOAA, including Ocean Exploration, and we do a lot of work with the National Marine Sanctuaries as well. And, of course, other universities and the Navy and nonprofits. So um, a big part of our mission is also to train the workforce. And these engineers and data managers and telepresence engineers and filmmakers come to us, um, sometimes right out of college, and they'll have a degree in engineering or natural history filmmaking or computer programming. But one of the things that we're finding that is so critical and makes the difference between a good team and a great team is life skills. So I think the workforce is well prepared from college, but when they get to us, we teach some skills that... Um, are kind of hard to come by unless you have experience and you have good mentors. So when they're operating these incredibly complex and expensive vehicles, it takes more than just technical knowledge. So we teach things like risk analysis or practicing sound judgment, um, how to communicate with the scientists that we're working with. And there's also decision-making skills. You know, we're, we're having to decide whether it's safe to dive based on the weather conditions in the sea state and we train our folks to think about their decisions and the impacts that those decisions will have on others so for instance you know if we don't dive today which science objectives won't be met or do we forfeit an entire dive site that we might never get back to Um, things like this
0: wow melissa i i love that program so much so for our audience uh think about NASA for the oceans. That, that's the sort of work that uh, Melissa's team it, it works with NOAA to do. And, um, and yeah, I, mean, there's, I, could go, I could say so many great things about it. And I did not know, uh, Melissa, about those additional elements. Whenever I was live streaming from the ROVs down at depth, like you said, 6,000 meters that your team was operating, seeing all the wonders of discovery in the ocean, um, from new species, like you said, or new geological features. I did not know about all this decision making and workforce development going on. Um, that's terrific. And then, and, and actually, for everybody, that's the topic of next month's podcast. Uh, so stay tuned if you're interested on the next one. Um, but let me go to quickly, uh, there's so much more to follow up on with you on, Alyssa, on Melissa on that. But uh, I want to uh, just get to lorita a little bit and talk a number, about a number of topics, really. You have the the STEM Brains um, enterprise that you're involved with. But before I ask you about that, I want to acknowledge that you were, for me, uh, the the program coordination officer for the National Ocean Service when I was the acting administrator. And so you got to see a lot of ocean-related education work. And um, so before I I let you talk a little bit about STEM Brains, just can you share a little bit about your thoughts uh, and experience about us together related to the education activities that NOAA was undertaking in the ocean service?
2: Sure. So, you know, as you mentioned, I did have the pleasure of working with you and staffing you, um, during my time at the national oceanic and atmospheric administration. Um, and I think it was probably maybe like four years ago. So a lot of time has passed since then. But, um, one of the things that I do remember is just a lot of engagement, um, working with you, um, and just, um, staffing a lot of the education programs that NOAA has um, we have the NOAA had the EPP, the educational partnership program um, and I do remember us being heavily involved in that program um, and some of the other engagements that I remember us participating in as far as diversity initiatives go was the women of color conference that happened in 2018. So I think <laughs> I actually received um, Women of Color, Women of Color for Technology Award that particular year. So I definitely remember you going out and um, supporting us during that initiative. We had about five women of color to receive awards um, that were working at NOAA at that time. So that was a really great um, opportunity for all of us to participate in.
0: Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up, Lorita. Yes, that was a I did that twice in 2018 and 19. And I remember I have the picture handy right now with me uh, that we took together at that event. And um, yeah, and you you received an award. Some of your colleagues I still stay in touch with. And I mean, that was just one of many great examples of NOAA's STEM educa- ocean STEM education activities. And uh, you know, it really is something for our listeners to take home. I mean, NOAA is America's ocean agency, top ocean agency. And so and therefore with a large ocean STEM education uh, footprint and uh, really proud of that. Now, I will give the NOAA Education Office Director Louisa Koch a shout out here uh, because she just does wonderful things and oversees that educational partnership program that you mentioned, Lurita, uh, which is targeted towards HBCUs and minority serv- serving institutions and does great, great work. And you're a Jackson State University graduate, aren't you, Lorita?
2: Yes, I am. And a lot of people may be familiar with Jackson State now that we have um, Coach DeGun Sanders, Coach Prime there, and he's really doing a great job of supporting our um, athletic football program. Um, and so I graduated from Jackson State in 20, 2004. Um, and I graduated with a, degree in, a bachelor's degree in meteorology.
0: Fantastic. That's great. Well, and also, meteorology is certainly a driver on the ocean dynamics, so it's an important relationship there. And glad you have bring that expertise to bear. So I will come back to you about STEM brains, but wanted to move forward and introduce and chat a little bit with Jill Zandy of Mate, the Marine Advanced Technology Education effort. And so now there's an evolution here that you might want to educate our audiences on, Jill. Um, you there was originally Mate, the robotics competition, um, you know, uh, innovator and, uh, with that has done so much great work that many of our audience uh, members might know, but now you're in, do you call it mate two? Is that what you call it? Or what's the name for it?
3: Yes. Yes, Tim. It's mate two, or as you, um, shared earlier, Mate Inspiration for Innovation and, and that's a bit of a play on words and I'm happy to share the the evolution of of the organization. So Mate Inspiration for Innovation, as you said, is a f- nonprofit, a 501 C three nonprofit. And we were inspired and created by the principles of the Marine Advanced Technology Education or MATE Center. So the MATE Center, and many of your listeners may may know this or remember, the MATE Center, um, based on at Monterey Peninsula College in in beautiful Monterey, California, it was funded by a grant from the National Science Foundation, specifically the Advanced Technological Education Program at the National Science Foundation in 1990. Ninety-seven, so we've been around for a while, and and mate the mate center in its early days, and and still now uh, focused on workforce development. So so we could we could fit well into in your January um, episode as well. But it was again established in nineteen ninety-seven, uh, based at Monterey Peninsula College, and the real focus was to um, support marine technology workforce needs. Help to support the next generation of marine technologists. And so we were very fortunate and still are fortunate to receive grant funding from the National Science Foundation for particular projects. But as I'm sure everyone can appreciate, um, National Science Foundation money, you're, you're not guaranteed to get that forever. And so as we grew and evolved, really looked to um, other ways to diversify our revenue stream, if you will. And that's when we founded the nonprofit in 2016. So MATE2, again, a play on words, was founded in 2016, really to carry on and sustain the educational activities that were developed at the MATE Center with a real uh, primary focus on the MATE ROV competition, remotely operated vehicle underwater robotics competition. And if I can, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that event that um, or program, if you will. It is a global underwater robotics competition. It's grown into that. It, it started um, as a partnership and still is a partnership with the Marine Technology Society, specifically the ROV Committee of, of MTS, the, the acronym there. Um, Gosh, back in, in 2000, the ROV committee approached us and really wanted to work on a program with us that would not only increase awareness of ocean career opportunities, but also especially to help students develop the skills that were needed in the industry. And so we welcome the opportunity to partner with them. Our, our first um I guess proof of concept, underwater robotics ROV competition took place in 2001. It was a regional here in Monterey. Uh, We had our first international competition in 2002. We called it international because we had teams from Canada, as well as the US and North American, just didn't seem to roll off the tongue, but we had the first um, international competition in 2002. And um, I will have to give a nod to Noah And specifically, Captain Craig McLean for helping to get us off the ground in 2002, the the international competition, that event in 2002 was in partnership with the NOAA-NASA-Link Symposium that was held at the Kennedy Space Center. We were an education and outreach component of that symposium. And so I I guess you could say we've come a long way since then and grown globally. We are now 45 regional programs that take place across the country and around the world. And we have just impacted thousands, tens of thousands of of students um, through the the program. And so I'm really grateful to be at the helm and and to help sort of shepherd the organization and the competition into the the next phase, if you will, with, with the nonprofit and really thriving in this global economy.
0: Gosh, I love what you do, Jill. And let me pause for a minute and kind of point to the audience out. Uh, I've been in this career field for nearly four decades. And I remember seeing MATE as it started out in 2000 and you held this first competition, which I just thought was so brilliant and wish it was available to me as a you know young undergraduate or even before that in high school. And uh, here you are in 20 years. I just, I wanna like acknowledge basically how many lives you've impacted people who are in the blue tech workforce because of you and uh, and your team and these efforts. So just, it's brilliant. And I want to just give you a a big Bravo Zulu as they say in the Navy.
3: Oh, Tim, I want to thank you for that. It really has been a team effort. It is, is amazing group of individuals I work with, amazing group of volunteers, and I want to give you a thanks and a shout out because, as you know, and hopefully your listeners know, the National Marine Sanctuary Program has been and continues to be and will be into the future a huge partner. Um, A number of the sanctuaries are actually the lead coordinators of our regional events. I'll point to Gray's Reef uh, National Marine Sanctuary, and I know that in your previous role with NOAA, you were hugely supportive of their involvement and um, their their support of the competition so I want to thank you for that
0: oh my pleasure shoot and I my one of my partners in crime was uh, assistant administrator Craig McLean who graduated from the NOAA Corps and uh, is a senior SES now and ready to retire but uh, he was terrific and then I remember seeing actually some of the um, the, uh, the ROVs themselves that the students were making and using in Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary, which I thought was just fantastic.
3: Yes, you're right. So Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary, I want to give a shout out to Jeff Gray, the superintendent there, hugely supportive. And um, the competition, again, just... Amazing, impacted so many students. And it's it's a competition that we are able to engage a wide range of, of ages and grade levels. We have students as, as young as third grade up into college and university designing and building ROVs to accomplish the mission tasks that we put forward to them. So it's pretty amazing. Of course, the third graders don't compete against the university students. We we have a, a we're great at scaffolding these uh, competition mission tasks. But they all are focused on solving the same problems, developing the technologies, presenting those um, in the form of technical reports and engineering, uh, oral presentations, oral engineering presentations and marketing displays. And so it's really been a rewarding program to see and, and shepherd shepherd through 20 years, 20 plus years.
0: That's wonderful. Well, great job there. And yeah, and what an interesting connection you have with Melissa Ryan. Here you are. Now, I have to ask you, Melissa, with the GFOE and all the work you've done with high-end ROVs on NOAA ships, um, have any of your folks uh, been sort of graduates of the M.A.T.E. program?
1: You know, Tim, that's a really good question. I know they're aware of it, but I'm not really sure.
0: That's interesting. Well, you know they are. I, I mean, it's uh, Basically, and I know that uh, they are all of the M.A.T.E. Um, Uh, alumni are folks who really aspire to what you're doing and 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 melissa you're so you kind of gave a really broad overview but like take uh, i i saw some of your rov pilots i communicated to them when they were underway and take our listeners through um briefly if you don't mind you know kind of a, a deployment what's going on there in the in the control van what your people are doing to ready the rov i mean these are just engineering marvels, and, and to get that thing in the water and start diving and collecting data and, and, and imagery. How, like how does that all work?
1: Yeah. So it's, we liken it to, um, the maintenance checks that airlines do before a plane takes off. So, um, a couple of, of the engineers are up at five thirty in the morning and they're checking every system on the ROV. They're checking, um, To make sure that everything is working, every light lights up, so they have a whole list that they go through, and that's before and after. We do post-checks, too, before and after every dive. Um, There's also communications checks. Um, Someone is on the bridge talking with the ship's crew to make sure that, okay, when we launch off this side of the ship, it's because the currents are running on this side, and the weather is doing this, so it's There's a lot of dynamics that go into just prepping for the dive. Um, Meanwhile, in the control room, there is a pilot, a co-pilot, a navigator, a videographer who are standing by, communicating, watching the launch, still making sure that the tethers are connecting everything, that the video is flowing. So it's really this, this intricate dance of a team of about 15 people, plus the ship's crew, that want to ensure that everything goes well, that everybody on deck who is helping with the launch is safe, um, and then to make sure that the equipment is working as it's supposed to. So the first thing is safety, getting it into the water while checking systems, then checking systems underwater, because if something happened and you had a leak you would know that pretty soon. Um, so, yeah, it, there's a lot that goes on. And it's kind of one of those things where you have to see it and experience it to really get an appreciation for it.
0: That's a great point. I hadn't thought about it, but it's a, it's a good lesson for everybody who is listening right now. Um, because going into um, the field as, as I was um, as a high school student, I, uh, I hadn't have an appreciation for the real nature of of uh, o- ocean stem and even the ocean stem education is it's a it's a team sport i, I think jill described that well you described that well and i think though sometime when those people get into the field and they think oh, i might not measure up I, I get asked this all the time for people i mentor i, I always tell them don't don't worry about that you know because you, you're going to be working with a team you're going to have mentors you're going to have coaches you're going to have colleagues and peers and you're all going to do it together it's a it's a team sport and uh and that's what makes it really fun. And so let me go to Loretta now with STEM Brains. And I, you were with the Ocean Service, so you were tied very closely to the National Ocean Service at NOAA. And you, uh, you, know, you oversaw some of the, I think you might have staffed me for my visit to Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary, where I did dive on two wrecks, and I love that. Um, and so you have your fingertips on those and experience. I, tell us about STEM Brains and tell me what you maybe observed or learned at NOAA that influenced uh, the development of this work and what you actually do.
2: All right, so yes, thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to talk about STEM Brains and to share my story. Um, so STEM Brains was basically founded um, because of some of the challenges that I faced at NOAA, seeing some of the um, like diversity issues with people of color not being able to advance and things like that at the agency. So one of the things that I decided to do was to try to give back to the, com- back to the community um, so that people would have opportunities to understand what types of things that they needed to do to navigate through different agencies. Um, and another thing too, when you look at the number of people of color that are in STEM, the numbers are still very, very low. We are making a lot of progress with women um, and people of color. Are still just kind of like the numbers are just inching up. I think right now we're still at probably eight or nine percent for African African Americans who have graduated college with um, degrees in STEM. And so it's it's a big challenge for us. And so one of the things that I was motivated to do was to start this organization. To bring more people from underrepresented groups, um, that means people from underserved communities and people that may ha- people with disabilities, um, and so that's something that's very important to me and something that I'm very passionate about. Um, STEM Brains has was stood up th- about three years ago, so one of the things that happened three years ago um, when we were standing up, we were just you know trying to get our strategy together, and then COVID hit. And so we were just like, okay, well, what do we do? What can we do now? And so I came up with um, virtual programming that we could do so that we can reach out to students. It started out with just having story time with the scientists from two to eight year olds and then having them to do a STEM activity. That led to us working with the organization in Texas called the Texas Work, North Central Texas, no Workforce Solutions of North Central Texas. I'm sorry about that. Um, and so we work with North Central Tex- North Workforce Solutions of North Central Texas to develop programming for about 80 students. Um, it, we originally were trying to target 200 students, but only 80 students showed up. We created um, a virtual escape room programming, and we also had about four scientists to come in and share their career fields, advice about um, networking um to all of these students um not all of the students that attended the programming were students of color but we were able to reach about maybe 10 to 20 percent of our students were students of color or students with disabilities and so that was really really amazing for those students to be able to have an interactive um activity with scientists in the room. The scientists even stayed behind to help facilitate some of the, the breakout sessions um, for the escape Room. And it was just really, really amazing. And we also awarded $5,400 in scholarships to the top three teams that won. And so just being able to see that and to use the, use those different activities as ways to motivate students to be inspired in STEM... Um, I think it's just a, a a great thing to have because people of color and people from underrepresented groups, um, they don't have the same amount of access as other students do to these different types of activities. So that's one of the things that STEM Brains is, is trying to um, achieve with this organization and with our mission.
0: That is such good work, Loretta. Th- thank you. I love to hear it. And I I do. Well, you you know, I mean that with total sincerity. That's why um, I I went to that women of color um, recognition event with you and then the year after, uh, because it was important for leadership to show support for bringing in more uh, underrepresented people uh, to into the STEM field. And that was a way to communicate that. I I also enjoyed it immensely. And here's an interesting spinoff. So you may remember this, but I also gave an award to Dr. Jamie Sims. Do you remember that?
2: Yes, I do remember that. I was actually, that was the same time that I received my award. So yes, I remember.
0: <laughs> yes. And so, um, and what was great about that, uh, besides the fact that, um, her son was there, Jordan, and I broke from the script and made, let him come on stage and it threw everybody on the, on the event staff crazy, but I meant a lot to her and I'm glad I was able to do that, but, uh. I had not really known her before. And making that, uh, um, making that association and learning more about her, um, I then I recruited her to become on and become a, NOAA's senior advisor for artificial intelligence because she had an amazing background. And we, with her help, we uh, launched a NOAA center for artificial intelligence. We developed a NOAA AI strategy and a, a, a NOAA AI strategic plan. She, and she's made just so much change for good in the agency. And just a great example of what, um, given someone with talent the right opportunity, what can become. And so uh, use that story if you want because it's a it was just like what you're doing right now to others, and I'm really I'm really proud of you.
2: Thank you so much, and 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 it does speak volumes. And like you said, once you if once the person's talent is recognized, I mean, it, it can take that person. Places that they haven't gone before, so it's great that you are able to recognize that talent and help, you know, people of color to progress and move forward within the agency or with at NOAA. So that was great. Thank you so much for, for that for sharing that.
0: Absolutely, and you know, this is an important part of the uh, of the STEM education conversation in general. And you know, another thing I'll bring in because I thought I like to bring up points that people don't bring up often. And you mentioned people with disabilities. And for our, our listeners, I have a very close association with that as well, because my name, my great, great, great grandfather, uh, Thomas Hopkins Gallaudet, founded Gallaudet University in Washington, D.C., the first, originally the first college for the deaf and hard of hearing. And, and, and that's an interesting story really briefly in that in the, in the late 1700s in the U.S., there was no deaf education. People who, who were hard of hearing, were basically regarded as mentally deficient well in europe there was a very well established system for educating the deaf and bringing them on to become functioning members of society and so my ancestor saw this and went to europe got all the coursework if you will and he brought back that material stood up a college established american sign language and here we are now and it's so it's uh, i'm going to applaud you lorita for including that component it's often overlooked, and uh, I think when you give everybody a voice, uh, so to speak, that it's uh, you're doing much better. Well, um, let me go on to Jill now, Jill Andy of MATE, and uh, there's a lot of really other interesting tie-ins that I wanted to address. Now, you have a really rich history. You talked about 20 years at MATE, but your journey kind of goes a lot farther back, and it was quite diverse. But let me focus on the fact that you were with the Marine Technology Society, is that correct?
3: yes that is correct i was um i've been involved with the marine technology society for what seems like longer than 20 years and likely was and uh for six years i served as the vp of of education on the mts board
0: right i knew that and, and that's why i think it's a really relevant topic for today's discussion quickly uh i was first exposed to the marine technology society when I was a midshipman at the Naval Academy and I was studying oceanography and I was just getting super energized on all things ocean technology related. And this MTS, we had a chapter at the Naval Academy and I was that chapter's president. I don't remember if I did anything, but ultimately I know I was excited about that role. And uh, and, and MTS played a big role in recruiting and fostering that, that uh, what I would argue is one of the nation's finest blue tech undergraduate programs, uh, USNA's oceanography department. So um, I would, I'd like to ask you about your role, what you did as a VP for education there.
3: Sure, and and I think um, I I should also mention I am still the the chair of the MTS Monterey Bay section. I I still wear that hat out here locally, and I think, you know, just to to touch on some of the things that Lorita talked about before I I lose my my train of thought on. You know, Loretta, I I commend you on all that you do, and I would love to talk with you more about getting some of the students that you serve involved with the MATE competition, because it really is about giving students giving folks the opportunity and let them giving them access to opportunities and showing them the possibilities helping them to get a leg up and i think that's hugely important and and diversifying our workforce diversifying those who are engaged with and informed about marine issues i mean that's what we're going to need to solve the ocean issues to deal with climate change to deal with plastic pollution in the ocean we're going to need all of us we're going to need Diversity. We're going to need everyone, and so I, I have to applaud your efforts. And, and Let's let's connect afterwards because again, I'd love to to work with you to give the opportunity of the made ROV competition to the students that you serve. And the other one of the things that I I, I did during my time at MTS Tim, again, giving students the opportunities. I Um, I I still believe this, that students don't often know or appreciate the power of networking and really Mm -hmm. what it means. Okay. COVID time aside, right. We can, we can all say that it's been a little hard to get together, but giving students the opportunity and helping them to develop their peer and professional networks. We know, I mean, how many of us have, have can credit a, a networking opportunity or a colleague or someone who knew somebody with our first job or our entrance into Grad school. I know I can. And so, one of the things I did in my role at MTS was develop a program to bring students to professional conferences like the Oceans Conference and then to Underwater Intervention, which is a conference that's coordinated by the MTS ROV Committee and the Association of Diving Contractors International. So, giving students the opportunity, not only bringing them to the conference and not necessarily giving them free reign and and throwing them out there on the exhibit floor, but actually offering programs and uh, networking events and receptions and connections with working professionals. So again, they can really not only get exposed to the community, but also start building their peer and professional network. So that was something that's really important. and. You know, COVID's put a pause on a lot of those things, but I just um, reconnected with my MTS colleagues who are are back on the board and in the position that I had to see if we can resurrect some of those opportunities because I think they're hugely important as we kind of emerge from from COVID and get back to to more in person um, events and and opportunities for networking.
0: Absolutely, Jill, that is terrific, and I I want to kind of foot stomp this for everybody that. That that is, I mentor people every day. To be honest with you, people from NOAA, people from the Navy, uh, new people I, I, I see early career professionals, and I always tell them the same thing: that it's never too early to start building your network. And uh, and that's what it, there's interesting things that become of this. You know, I ended up at NOAA, not because of uh, me campaigning for it or lobbying for it. Someone in my network was connected to those that were deciding who would be the next set of NOAA leaders. And I didn't know this person very well, but he knew me. And he, that's kind of how it happened, professional reputation. So before you even have an interview, you have, what opens the door is your professional reputation, and you build it through your network. But let me go back to what you just asked Loretta for, Jill, and that was to connect so that you could bring in to, some, to your next mate competitions uh, some people, some un- students from underserved communities and institutions. And I love that's my favorite aspect of this podcast is connecting people and finding win-win outcomes. So, uh, good on you. You jumped right on it. I'm so glad.
3: And you know what, if I can take a second too, and, and Loretta, yeah, we will we'll follow up after this. And I, I just wanted to make a comment about Melissa and, and I will say, um, I know that some of our former competitors have found their way through the control rooms, the ROV control rooms of, of Melissa's research vessels. And I can think of a couple. And certainly, you know, Tim talking about connecting, Melissa and I had a, had a sidebar conversation talking about let's reconnect and let's see future collaborations and possibilities to, to get students out doing real world things. Because what we do with the competition, all the things that Melissa was describing, the skills the decision making, critical thinking, the checklist, the safety checklist, all of that, we simulate that. In the Mate ROV competition, we oh, simulate cool. that you know that high performance, um, the pressures on literally and figuratively. And so I, I say with confidence because I've seen it and and the numbers and the surveys and our alumni. Uh, we do a number of competition alumni surveys to see where our students have gone, um, what degrees they've gotten, and where they're out there in the workplace. And a number of them are are ocean related professions, so they're prepared and and could really serve you and and serve. The community, so we'll have to we'll have to talk for sure after this and and find out more ways to, to connect our programs.
2: Yes, I agree. You now, one of STEM Brain's mission is to connect communities to inspire young minds in STEM. So I'm always open to connecting <laughs> as many communities as possible to help underserved communities and people with disabilities. So
0: good, this is great. I, I like just I could just <laughs> check out right now, and you could see the conversation will go. <laughs> i love it i love this all um well, a couple things here quickly first off um regarding what you're doing jill with mate and you will do with Larita, um, for our listeners just for what it's worth uh, the, during this covid time um, i got with some people at noaa and they were doing fantastic work still moving the mission forward despite the COVID protocols and we wrote an article in the journal of ocean technology and it was titled Autonomy, Artificial Intelligence, and Telepresence, Advancing, Advancing Ocean Science at Sea in the COVID Era. And uh, on the cover of that, the photo is from a mate competition. I don't know if you saw that, Jill, but uh, and I love the whole idea. But that's exactly what we did. I authored it. One of my co-authors was Dr. Jimmy Sims, who I mentioned earlier, um, and she did great things with artificial intelligence at NOAA. It still is. And... Anyways, for our listeners, that's a, it's a pretty interesting paper. Check that out. But um, moving on, Jill, you mentioned at MTS uh, about professional development, and I want to go to Melissa. And this was something I never really knew about you when I, I saw that on your resume. You ran a professional development program at NOAA. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, sure is, Tim. It uh, what a fun job. Um, for about seven years, I. Um, taught teacher workshops around the country. NOAA had about 13 partner sites that were aquariums or universities or science centers. And we would introduce teachers to all of these hands-on activities from the ocean exploration curriculum, and most teachers didn't know it existed. So here we are introducing them to these hands-on STEM lessons, and we're actually crafting part of an ROV manipulator out of cardboard and duct tape and plastic tubing. And they just get so excited, and it's really rewarding to see that, you know, they can take that back to their classroom. And even though everybody can't get out to sea and, and pilot a, a big ROV like we do, you can actually um, still benefit from, from doing what you can, right? Learning how that works and how it's applicable to ocean science. Um, we also conducted online workshops and this was years ago before everybody was even familiar with the zooms and the google meet that we use today so i like to think that we were kind of ahead of our time there but we had um, one workshop had 700 teachers from the u.s and all over the world participating and communicating and learning from each other and so that was really rewarding and the teachers really Seem to like having a community to bounce ideas off one another and say, you know, how did you incorporate this lesson into your classroom and your curriculum? And so we always did, speaking of the networking that we were just talking about, we always had a lot of time built in for them to network with each other. And I also, um, I also compiled all of the evaluations and comments for all of these workshops. And that was the number one thing that, they said they really got a lot out of was talking to one another about the curriculum and how to use it and and uh, you know how to gear it toward second grade instead of eighth grade and, and things like that. So really rewarding and NOAA Noah continues this program today, although I think everything is is online at this point. But it's a it's a wonderful program.
0: Well, it's great and and so it, it, actually you're highlighting just the importance of that topic in general professional development in a focused manner Uh, one of the things that is worth sort of just talking about here too is professional and leader development so uh, in both areas and they both relate directly to stem education you uh, a lot of organizations will put people in charge or assign them roles that uh, they're not prepared for and so that's the whole purpose of professional development program is Get them ready to go in and start join the workforce and contribute immediately rather than training excessively. And uh, everybody wants to be part of the team and, and make immediate contributions. And that's why it's such an important uh, um, endeavor as is leader development for young supervisors, early, super, early career supervisors and the like. And so I just couldn't say more good things about deliberate programs to ad- advance uh, people in that way. And, uh, and so it's an interesting theme here. We're talking about STEM education, a lot of ocean tech, science, and technology. But uh, underlying it all, as Lorita has said beautifully, is is people. It's all it's all about people, and I like that. I like when that comes out of these discussions. Um, so, Lorita, I, I had to throw in something there to when we, to you um, a question because uh, I I had not known this until I did a little homework on you. You served for a time at the National Ice Center, is that correct?
2: (laughs) That is correct, yes.
0: What years were you there?
2: So that was like my second job out of college. So I think I was there from 2006 to 2008.
0: How about that? So for our audience, the National Ice Center is currently under the Weather Service Uh, before it was under NOAA's satellite office. And it's an office that basically studies the ice conditions and sends reports out to people in the, the polar regions, Antarctica and the Arctic. Is that a fair characterization, Larita?
2: Yes, that's a fair characterization. Um, and it's also a tri-agency um, organization between the Navy, the Coast Guard and NOAA. And so they do a lot of um, ice studies and ice analysis um, for the Arctic and the Antarctica um, when I was there, I basically was using um, geographical information systems or GIS to l- look at how the ice flows were melting and growing <laughs> every season um, in the Arctic and the Antarctic. And it was a really um, great project to work on. I was a contractor for NO- for NOAA um, when I worked there. And then one of the main projects that I worked on was to help transition this um machine or this software called it was called the snow and ice machine which is um I think it was a like a model um that that NOAA used in order to do all of their snow predictions and I forget for which model it was for but the data and analysis that the snow and ice team contractors did all of that snow and ice analysis went into that machine to help predict the snow and ice um for NOAA. And so basically we had three scientists, three analysts that were on that that machine seven days a week. (laughs) Um, And so we kind of helped transition. I think it was at the weather service before. And for some strange reason, they wanted to come to the ice center. And so we performed that analysis seven days a week um, to help transit. And we learned the system too, because we had to learn it to transition it over to the ice center. Um, and then it was at the ice center for a while, but I'm not really sure what happened to it at this point. So it's been a while.
0: Huh. Well, I could tell you because I was in <laughs> charge, if you will, as when I was an ad, one star admiral uh, of the, the Navy community that, that ran the ice center. And of course, coming over to NOAA, I, ha- I supported the move of the ice center from the satellite office to the national weather service. But ultimately I bring this up because two important reasons. A lot of our discussions on this podcast talk about the the deep blue ocean, and and often the coast too, but the Arctic is opening, and the ice part of the ocean, the cryosphere, is becoming increasingly important, and it's a really tough area to study. So getting experts on ice uh, and and the Arctic Ocean and the Antarctic region, uh, I think, is something that I've never highlighted yet, and I wanted to, based on your experience, Loretta, the other thing, though, I think is maybe even more interesting, and that is, uh, as you know, professional development all depends upon people and relationships, and and so there's always connections. I always find that everybody is interesting, and if you look hard enough, you can always find a connection with anybody. Um, and when you make that connection, you know, then it greases the gears to uh, for these collaborations we're starting to talk about right here between three people who had not really collaborated together. So. Well, I didn't mean to get preachy on you there, but just some lessons learned. And I thought that was a really neat part of your your history, Lorita. Well, here, um, we only have a few minutes left, and I'd like to sort of go around the room and ask for any of your final thoughts on ocean STEM education as they relate to the American blue economy or in general. And um, uh, And so let me go back and start with you, Melissa Ryan of the Global Foundation for Ocean Exploration.
1: Thanks, Tim. Yeah, I do want to. Uh, I want to let listeners know about a really exciting STEM education opportunity, especially if you are in the classroom. Um, we're going to be we're partnering with the National Marine Sanctuaries Office of National Marine Sanctuaries on a mission in May called Valor in the Atlantic, and we're going to be looking at ships that sank during World War II off North Carolina and how fish use these habitats. And this is going to be a telepresence-enabled expedition, so you can join in live, and you can watch the dives, and you can listen to the experts talking about the wrecks, and about how the fish use them as habitats. Um, And shipwrecks are just the greatest example of a multidisciplinary ocean stem topic, because they involve history and policy, you know, what about ownership of a wreck in international waters, um, the physics and hydrodynamics of how the ship sank, the biology, what grows on it? How is that shipwreck an ecosystem? And of course, the engineering, how is the ship built that caused it to break apart the way it did when it sank? Um, and the technology used to locate it. So it can go on and on, but I think it's just a, it's a wonderful opportunity for students and teachers and the general public to tune in and kind of get a taste of a lot of different STEM topics.
0: Oh, one of my favorite, Melissa, Valor in the Atlantic. Gosh, uh, we could have spent the whole episode on this topic (laughs) based on my naval history and also the fact that I was such an avid supporter and still am on the expansion of the USS Monitor National Marine Sanctuary to include all those wrecks you're talking about. There's about 80 one of them is a German U-boat, which I have dove on with my wife and a NOAA sanctuary technical diver named Tane Kasserly. And you're right, they create these artificial reefs where, and, and ecosystems develop. But then there's the history and the fascinating archaeology and science and tech behind that. Uh, we will tune in. You can count on it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Melissa.
1: Yeah, if I could just mention it's, uh we're going to be diving May 12th through the 30th. And there is our, our website dedicated to this mission is allrex.org.
0: Gosh, I'm writing it down. <laughs> Thank you so much. Great. Love this. Well, okay. Well, then going on, uh, Loretta uh, with STEM Brains, tell us if you have any final thoughts for us um, as we close out.
2: So I do have a final thought um, in regards to... STEM education, STEM and Ocean Education in a Blue Economy, I feel like we really need to go back to what STEM brain's mission is um, for connect about connecting communities. And what I mean by that is when we think about STEM and ocean education, we usually think about, oh, how can we educate our youth? And of course, we do need to educate our youth, but we also need to educate everyone. Um, Because climate change is very important and it is also real, and I think if we are educating our youth, it's going to be tremendous. It's going to have a tremendous impact on how the future of our planet is sustained, and also educating the people who currently live here because they also are going to be making a difference um, and try and trying to make it a lot easier for the people who who come behind them. Um, to take care of the planet. So I think that we do need to do a better job of educating everyone and educating them on how protecting the ocean or what you know about the ocean um, can help impact the climate and how we can um, protect our planet. So I think it's it's very important. Um, I also do think that we need to invest more in STEM education. And so if you want to learn more about Um, how you can do that. I'm happy to chat with people. Um, They can reach out to my organization and our website is www.stembrains.org. You can also donate to us so that we can fund more programs to reach out to underserved communities in STEM um, and people with disabilities. Um, And so I think that is basically what my final thought is on this
0: well said lorita I, I just am so pr- i'm really excited about your work and so good to see you what you've done uh since uh, we last saw each other with noah and i will i will add that um during around the time i was with you i worked with uh, Lu- uh, louisa Koch again the director of NOAA's office of education and we made big contributions to the national stem education strategy uh, released by the white house in i think 2018 And I I was proud to put Noah all over that important document, uh, which is still being acted upon. So great job. Well said. Thank you. And you bet. And uh, lastly, uh, Jill Zandy with MATE. Tell us uh, anything else you'd like to share with us before we close.
3: Sure, sure. But how much time do we have, Tim? I'm just just teasing you. I, I will share some thoughts, and then I've got a, a couple of ideas for future um, episodes to, to share with you. So, first, I want to start by completely um, piggybacking and, and agreeing with all that Loretta said. Um, that the, the whole idea of uh, increasing awareness about ocean issues, including climate change, that's what motivated us. If you look at the 2022 MATE ROV competition season and our theme and our tasks. We have embraced the UN decade of the ocean and aligned our mission tasks with several of the 17 U.N. Sustainable Development Goals, which aren't specific to the U.N. Decade of the Ocean, but are very, um, very much uh, in in need. Things like uh, climate action and uh, zero hunger, uh, life below water. Our our tasks this year focus on marine renewable energies. They focus on offshore aquaculture, and they focus on the Antarctic with a specific tie-in to, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there is an expedition mounting to go back to the Weddell Sea and search for Ernest Shackleton's Ship the Endurance. And that should be heading out um, COVID willing soon. So again, our competition tasks all wrapped around these issues, these big picture issues, not not only to challenge our students and the teams that participate to find solutions, but hopefully to engage and inform the the general public about these issues and the importance of, of focusing on them. And I wanted to say, too, that like, like Melissa and, and others, we, we do offer professional development as well. If, if you're wondering how to get started with the MATE ROV competition, we have what we call CMATE starter ROV kits and building guides and instructional materials that are aligned with standards that go along with that. So um, just ways to support teachers and um, by, by default students and in getting involved with MATE. And, and talking about when you're mentioning, um, again, professional development and networking, I just want to point out a relatively new, uh, back to my connection with the Marine Technology Society, they have an early career ocean professionals um, membership category and program. And it's really for the early career ocean professionals, helping them to get started, supporting them. Basically, it's a com- Career management um, tool and program. So I encourage people to who are in their early careers and in, in ocean um, to look at that. And and finally, just. Um, Thinking about uh, STEM education, you know, we focused, again, Ocean STEM education, your next podcast is on workforce development, but it really is a a pathway, a a progression. Um, In K-12, it's really about engaging and informing and getting these students excited, helping them along their journey to get the skills, build on the skills, develop those STEM skills, and all of those Uh, employability skills, the soft skills, 21st century workplace skills, whatever label you'd like to put on things like teamwork and critical thinking and problem solving, and really just extending that pathway up into college and university and and out into the workforce. So even though it's kind of separated between Ocean STEM and workforce development, it's really a a continuation because inevitably those young students that we're educating, we want to support them in getting jobs and and embarking on careers and, and being resources for us, hopefully supporting uh, marine activities. And finally, my ideas for future future episodes, Tim, you know, you mentioned AI. We've we've, uh, crafted some challenges around AI and looking at our teams and students who participate in MATE to develop programs to help solve real world problems, including one that was tied to Gray's Reef National Marine Sanctuary. They had a whole lot of video transect data that volunteers were going through and annotating and, and identifying species. And so we put that challenge out to our student teams and said, hey, help those volunteers. Let's let's make this process more efficient, streamline it, cut down on the time it takes, and develop a program that can do that. So um, we're, we're going to continue those challenges and hopefully um, use more sanctuary footage or, or NOAA in general footage to, to challenge our teams to, to solve some real world problems and and hopefully make folks lives easier. And the other thing you mentioned was VR. You know, one of the things we did inspired by COVID, but something that will persist beyond <laughs> COVID if as we emerge from it. I'm gonna keep thinking positive about that. Is um, we created a Mate VR competition world um, modeled after what you would find at a Mate World Championship. We've got an auditorium and a pool and a welcome center and team workstations. And so I'll leave it at that. And again, just encourage you think think about a, a, a VR episode and and um, invite me back.
0: Ha! Huh, you can count on it. In fact, I love your topic about uh, your point about. AI and machine learning. Fish identification is something we advanced in a big way uh, for NOAA fisheries. And in fact, uh, for what it's worth, I uh, went on, on a dive with my wife Karen to support a nonprofit that does ocean conservation of white sharks. And we were cage diving off Guadalupe Island a few months ago and doing photo identification to characterize and assess the status of the population in the eastern Pacific of white sharks. And the wonderful people of this nonprofit called the Marine Conservation Science Institute, Marine CSI, they had been cataloging these 400 or so individual white sharks uh, by their eyeballs. (laughs) And uh, a certain expert named Nicole Nasby-Lucas was doing it all in her head. And I thought, my gosh, this is a machine learning problem like none other. And it's solvable and has already been solved for other species. And and therefore, exactly like you were doing, uh, we got her connected and hopefully they're gonna move out on that. So, um, in fact, I think it was gonna be a University of Oklahoma, uh, they have an AI Center for Environmental Science that is gonna do a hackathon and get some students to develop some algorithms for that really awesome nonprofit. Anyways, uh, there's so much more we could share, but we're at the end of our time, everyone. Uh, Loretta Allemasser from STEM Brains, Melissa Ryan from Global Foundation of Ocean Exploration, and Jill Zandi of MATE2. Thank you all so much for coming. This was great, really informative, and a ton of fun. And in this latest episode of the American Blue Economy podcast, I think we covered ocean STEM education in a really powerful and positive way. I want to thank our sponsors at the American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today. And uh, and I want to ask you to join us for the next episode in February where we cover ocean workforce development, as already mentioned several times. This is your host, Admiral Tim Gallaudet, CEO of Ocean STL Consulting. Thank you for joining us, shipmates. I look forward to getting underway with you again next time.